You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good evening. Welcome to MetroVision Studios. My name is Reese Kia Aina. Thank you so much for tuning in to our midweek service tonight. Grace and I miss you. Thank you so much for uh, just your time and attention tonight. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's have a great midweek. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity that we could be online together and participate in midweek service, that we could hear a lesson, that we could be having thoughts that uh, are centered around your mission, and that uh, our our study today would not only lead to building our faith, but it would uh, help us to make decisions that would lead to different actions that we take that could benefit the lives of others around us. God, we love you. Bless our time today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, We're doing a series right now called Be the Church. And it's this idea that we don't just go to church, but that we are the church. And I hope, you know, last week we did, we started this series up and, uh, man, I hope you will be encouraged and your faith will be built, your soul will be refreshed. Uh, as we go through these series for the this series for the next couple of weeks, as always, be a Berean, right? Uh, whatever we're studying, get into it, look into it, look look into the scriptures to see if what we're talking about is true to the scriptures. Last week we looked at the mission of God as how, how can we be a church, right? As, as we learn to, we can be a be the church that Jesus wants us to be by learning to participate in His mission. In Luke chapter 4, in verse 16 to 21, it reads, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He set up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. As we looked at what mission is according to Luke chapter 4, last week, we were able to see that the mission is spirit-led, that the mission always inspires and empowers mission in, in the church and empowers us. The pressure's off of us. We don't, it's not, the agency of mission doesn't lie with us and the church. It lies with the spirit and we're called to participate in that. The, the, the mission is also multifaceted. Last week we looked at this, that, that there are five aspects of God's mission. Uh, and, and you notice that look who it, who the mission is geared toward. Good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, setting the oppressed free, and proclaiming the year of Jubilee. Now, why is this all important? Why is it important to know that mission is multifaceted? Well, it's so that we can be a church that cares and loves the poor the way Jesus does, that Jesus loved the poor and needy, and those who were specifically excluded, left behind, uh, pushed to the margins, and not only did he meet the spiritual needs, he also met the physical needs, and I believe that's something that uh, we're called to do as well as disciples of Jesus as we make disciples of all nations. 
Another reason why this is important is because so we can be a church that understands that we needed each other as a body, as a communal body to be able to live this out. Like one person can't do all these uh, five areas of mission, but but as a community, as a communal body of Christ, we can do this together. Amen. That's so awesome. You know, Christianity was never meant to be lived out in isolation alone and only by yourself, but it's in a communal body that we can, we can live out this mission. The third thing is that so we can be a church that get, that transforms our faith as we participate in mission. That as we participate in mission, our faith gets transformed in the process as we help others encounter and transform their faith in Christ as well. I wonder what new experiences and encounters we will have with Jesus as we participate in his mission. It, it may surprise us and shock us. And so how can we be a church of Jesus? Well, by learning how to participate in mission. And the, the lesson we're going to do tonight is about proclaiming good news to the poor. Now, proclaiming good news to the poor. What would be good news for you tonight? What would be good news to you tonight? You know, I want you to be thinking about that. You know, last week, uh, the week before I was ill and I went to urgent care. And when I went to urgent care, my doctor said, Oh, you, you don't, you don't, you don't look well. You don't feel well. Why don't you take a COVID test, Reese? And I thought, Whoa, that just kind of caught me off guard. You know, I wasn't expecting that. And then I've been for the, uh, after I went to the urgent care, I was waiting for a couple of days and basically I got the results back in two days and the results were ne- negative. And that was good news to me, right? That was good news to get the results back negative. But what about you? What would be good news to you tonight? What if I told you that, uh, if you came to Turnwall Studio in Lakewood in one hour, Turnwall would pay for your car note? For everybody in the church, would that be good news to you tonight? <laughs> Turnwall's right. He's filming right now. <laughs> He's going, what's happening right here? But if you, if, I could hear, I could hear people, I could see people logging off right now and getting in their cars and heading their way to Lakewood right now. You may not even have the address, but I know people would get here if they knew that their car note, car note would be paid off, right? I mean, that would be good news perhaps to you or, or perhaps if you went to if if you could go to the Webers tonight and you know your mortgage would be paid off your rent would be paid off for for the whole year would, would that be good news uh, i'm sure a lot of us would say that would be some good news to 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 have that done well jesus came and he proclaimed good news to the poor but what did he mean by that what did jesus mean when he said he came to proclaim good news to the poor. Well, what is good news? And I, I want to look at a video first for a few minutes here about what the good news or the gospel is all about. Because this is what Jesus came to do, is to proclaim the good news or the gospel, but specifically to the poor. That's what we're going to learn tonight. Enjoy the video. If you know any Christians, or if you happen to be one, you've probably heard the word gospel as a kind of summary of Christian belief, connected to phrases like, God loves you, or Jesus died for your sins. But over time, religious words like gospel can lose their power and meaning by becoming too familiar. So, let's take a moment to rediscover what this important word, gospel, meant to the people who wrote the Bible. Gospel translates the Old Testament Hebrew verb, biser, and the noun, besorah. 
The Greek New Testament equivalent is euangelion, which is a compound word. Eu means good, and angelion means announcement. All of these words mean good news, but what kind of news? Well, in Hebrew, beser is what we might call national news, or a royal announcement. Like when King David hears a messenger beser that his army was victorious in battle, that means he still rules on his throne over the people of Israel. And after David dies, his throne is passed on to Solomon, his son. And when he was inaugurated as king in Jerusalem, a herald spreads the Besorah, that a new ruler is in charge. But after Solomon's death came a bunch of bad news kings, whose corruption led their nation into self-destruction. This is why the prophet Isaiah announced the good news that one day the God of Israel would come as the cosmic king to confront all corrupt and violent kingdoms and restore his rule over all nations. And so, when Jesus of Nazareth hit the public stage, he continued Isaiah's gospel when he went around announcing the euangelion of God's kingdom. Jesus claimed that God was restoring his reign over his people Israel and over all nations, and he was the one bringing it all about. Now, the euangelion about a new king in charge means a new way of life. Jesus said that living in God's kingdom meant following him by putting down the sword and seeking peace through radical forgiveness and generosity, even toward your enemies. His good news required people to make a decision. This is why Jesus took his euangelion to Jerusalem to confront the corrupt and violent kingdoms of his day. But he challenged them in a surprising way with the power of God's generous love. As Jesus was being executed by his enemies, he received his crown and was mocked as a fake king. But he displayed true royal authority by forgiving his tormentors. Jesus was the one in charge that day, giving his life for the sins of others. And then, a few days later, everything changed. Jesus rose from the dead as the true king, whose love is stronger than death. He appeared to hundreds of his followers and told them to spread the euangelion, that all authority in heaven and earth now belongs to him. And they did share this good news all over the ancient world. They did it by writing the four accounts of Jesus' life that are the gospel. That is, they tell the story of how Jesus brought God's kingdom, how he lived for others and died for their sins, and then was raised from the dead. Jesus' followers also shared the good news by simply talking about it. This is why Peter and Paul, or Priscilla and Aquila, traveled all around sharing the royal announcement. While it might look like the rulers of our world are in charge and can do whatever they want, the good news is that the crucified and risen Jesus is the true Lord of the world, the real king of all creation. And in Jesus' kingdom, things are different. It's where the real leaders are the servants, because the last are first, and the first go to the back of the line. It's where the hungry are fed and the homeless are welcome, because love is the most powerful reality of God's kingdom. And this good news is not easy to believe. It actually sounds kind of crazy when you first hear it. But something happens when people tell the story of Jesus and start living like he really is the king of the world. That's when this gospel becomes the best news that you've ever heard. Wasn't that a great video? I hope you were encouraged by that. And it gives us an understanding of what the word gospel really means. Now, what does that mean for those who are poor and needy? For those who, who perhaps are lacking in resources and, and, and are pushed to the margin in society? 
Well, you know, Mother Teresa had a great quote. To be able to proclaim good news to the poor, we must know what is poverty. In today's reality, I'm showing you a slide here of the global income distribution by world region. And on the top part of the slide, you'll see the world population, right? And then you'll see 9%, 53%, 23%, 15%. And then below that, you'll see a a column of high-income countries, then different countries underneath there, Europe and Asia, Latin America, Caribbean, and so forth, all the way down to Sub-Saharan Africa. And this slide was created, you know, uh, uh, and according to the United Nations, which is an international organization founded in 1945 uh, after World War II by 51 countries that are committed to maintaining international peace and security, developing friendly relations among nations, promoting social progress, better living standards, and human rights. And this slide here is to help us to become, it's not to make us guilty about, about, where the resources lie in the world and, 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 and how the world is broken up in terms of, of which countries are high-income countries and which countries are low-income countries. But this helps us to become aware of, of poverty in the world. And it was shocking to me, you know. Uh, if you just go by this alone, the high-income countries, there's about, I think, 25 to 30 countries that are on this list here. UK, Australia, South Korea, South Korea Japan, United States, and uh, Australia, different other, Denmark, Germany, France, all these countries are, are, are in that, you know, that, that category there, but then there are other countries that are low income countries. And it's tricky when we're talking about how to define poverty. But if you look at the top statistic there, okay, it says world population 9% in blue, right? 9% of the world's population live on less than a dollar ninety per day, a cup of coffee, basically, right? If, if you went to Starbucks and you got a uh, large frappuccino, that's probably almost $5. Nine percent. You go. Well, what what would that number be? There's about seven point five billion people in the world. You're talking. If it was just seven billion, right? And we went with ten percent instead of nine. That's seven hundred million people in the world live on less than a dollar ninety cents per day. And then fifty three percent of the world lives on less than ten dollars per day. Twenty three percent live on less than thirty. And if you're a fifteen percent, you know. Uh, you live on $30 or more per day. And then if you look at the high-income countries, almost 75% of high-income countries live on more than $30 per day. But 85% of the world lives on less than 30 and under dollars per day. And that's a, that's a, what a thought that is. That's today's reality when we're talking about poverty and people who are, who are extremely poor and people who are poor. Uh, the future reality, these are all numbers that are pre-COVID, but post-COVID, you know, or the future reality is the World Bank estimates that an additional 88 million to 115 million people will fall into extreme poverty. The, the category that is less than a dollar 90 cents per day will fall into that in 2020 with the total rising to about 150 million in 2021 this year because of COVID-19. Uh, it, it's amazing. And so what would good news to the poor mean? In Isaiah 52 and verse 7 is a great passage about this, about good news, the word gospel that or good news that is in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 52 verse 7, uh, Isaiah comes onto the scene and basically makes the claim that God cares. 
How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. This is good news. You know, God cares. Uh, it's the, it's, it is a herald that is announcing the return of the Lord in Zion. It is a story of God's people that were being once disciplined and in exile because of their hearts and uh, of stubborn refusal and rebellion against God. But it's also the story of God reestablishing faith, hope, and love and vision to his people by being a small nation that would one day become a blessing to all the nations of the world. And, and this would be done in the midst of an oppressive king. You know, that's good news to the poor if they heard something like that. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, what, what would this good news entail? You know, it, it, it entails that Jesus, not only does God care, but Jesus cares as well. In Mark 1, verse 15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel or the good news. Uh, it, it was this announcement, you know, the, the gospel is not just a message, but it is also an eschatological event. Eschatology is the future, right? Uh, and so the gospel was an, it was an announcement of an event of a future event breaking into the present, the kingdom of God, what, how, how this world, how God would reorder the world his way. The future, that future breaking into the present today. That's what Jesus came to announce and, and usher in. And that was good news for people who were pushed to the margins because now they would, they would be cared for. Not only would God personally get involved in this, but that Jesus would personally get involved and, and God would send this son and Jesus would come in as the suffering servant and change the world around him by his principles and by his values. So powerful. You know, it'd be like, it, it, it'd be like God was saying, there's a new sheriff in town, you know, and it's Jesus. It's not the Roman Empire. It's not the Caesars. We, Jesus came to reorder the world in which he lived in with new principles and new, a new vision. Well, how do you know? In Luke chapter 14 and verse 15 to 20 and 21, it's the parable of the great banquet, right? Is blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. You know, for somebody who was pushed to the margin to hear that, they would never think that this would apply to them. It would only apply to the rich, the powerful, the wealthy, those who, who are, who have influence in the world. While in the Roman Empire, those who were poor, who were slaves, were all the lame, the crippled, the, you know, the, they would be pushed to the margin. They, it's almost like they had no hope. And yet, as they heard something like this, as Jesus came into the sea and they heard the herald, you know, in the, the wording of Isaiah 52 and verse 7, Wow, there's a new sheriff in town, and it's going to be somebody different than the Caesar, a Caesar that's going to care for them. In Luke 14, in verse 21, it says, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You know, the poor were invited to the king's table. The poor were invited and sought out for when, when the hosts you know, had a banquet and, and set out invitations and people were too busy. 
man, the, the, the master was like, well, go invite the, go invite the poor, the blind, those pushed to the margins. And, and that's, that's a picture, uh, uh, analogy of, of what the kingdom of God is like and about how God is, is that he cares for the poor. He cares for the lame. He cares for the crippled and, and that he would invite people that would never be able to repay him. Doesn't that just sound God? Doesn't it sound like God's grace that God extends grace to people who can never repay it, you know? Uh, and so this is good news. This is the gospel. This is good news. The gospel is not only about salvation, but it's also a reordering of the world where now those who are pushed to the margins, their lives would become different because they're in the, they get to be part of the kingdom of God. And that was such good news. Is that good? Is that good news to you this evening? Is that we get to be part of a kingdom? You know, that's part of the reason why I serve God and I serve Jesus, and and He's my King, and why I'm a Christian is because I want to be under this kind of leadership that that doesn't just push people to the margins, but that includes everyone, especially those who've been pushed to the margins, uh, who can't repay perhaps, but they're sought out because their lives matter. That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. And so I want to talk about two things tonight, two practicals. What could we do as we hear the message, as we proclaim the good news, you know, to those who are less fortunate or those who are needy? Uh, what can we do? And in James chapter 2, in verse 1 through 5, it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. James gives us great insight. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? What a great passage here that James talks about. So what can we do tonight as we learn about the gospel being preached to the poor? What can we learn? What can we do in our lives today, tonight? is number one is be a learner instead of a worshiper. I mean, let me explain that for a minute. Be a learner instead of a worshiper. You know, in this passage, James talks about favoritism, that when people come to church, right, when people come into the midst of the assembly, you know, it's easy to kind of start looking at people and looking at outward appearance and then making judgments by that. And James looks at that and goes, if you have a rich person here and a poor person here and you give special attention, James uses strong language by saying, isn't that discrimination? Aren't you discriminating against yourselves and become judges? Almost like as you put yourself in the position of God almost, where you discriminate. Where you discriminate based on appearance, you know, based on what you think, rather than looking at how God looks at it. And, and according to this passage, it says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? In the kingdom of God, those who are poor are often rich in faith. 
And so what does that mean for us as we engage, as we as we go about our daily lives, you know, and, and we pay attention to what's happening in, in our communities and, and at work. And and as we take our kids to school and we notice people, I go on prayer walks every day and every day I come across somebody who's homeless or somebody who's poor on the side of the street. And I, I, this, this this study has made me think more about them, you know, where I can engage and talk and I, I've given a, a coat before or given money before. And I understand all that. I'm saying be safe. I'm saying, you know, get advice. I'm saying all those things, right? But my natural inclination oftentimes is, is I'm not thinking about it enough. And, and this passage, if I look at somebody who perhaps is poor, who has less resources or perhaps is needy, and I make judgments, that's a the strong language James uses against that. But one of the things I learned is that, wow, God goes, God chose the poor to oftentimes be rich in faith. What does that mean for me? Is that I can be a learner. That instead of looking them at them a certain way, I can learn from them because they are rich in faith. You know, the other week, one of the things I love to do is golf, right? For just my personal care, soul care. And I went golfing with Aaron. And the, this foursome that I was in before was a councilman, that the guy who was running for office as a councilman and a three-time Super Bowl player was in my foursome and immediately guys I was just I could I can see myself being so guilty of this right here immediately I can find myself being drawn or or or, or paying giving more attention than than perhaps somebody who was, wasn't like that you know and I thought wow that, that's what this passage is talking about is if I look at people and I immediately make judgments for me not to be in the position of God but to to be humble enough to learn you know and to that to that when I was looking at a Super Bowl athlete, I, I, I was drawn to that. I was looking, I, I, you know, I, I was giving special attention, doing exactly what this passage tells me not to do. So I'm challenged by this, you know, uh, that I can learn. Now, it, there's so much that we can learn from the poor, from people who perhaps are, are, are needy or, 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 or have less resources. They are made in the image of God. They have gifts to offer us as well. There are often great examples to imitate spiritually. I'm reminded of the, the poor widow who teaches us about how to really have uh, a mate, to how to be, how to give with all your heart, even when she's poor. And she was giving to a system of the Pharisees that was corrupt. She was giving, she was giving to a system that was corrupt and shows us how to give to God, not to an institution, a church, or just an organization. She gives us that kind of example. What a great example. In Luke 7, Simon the Pharisee and, and, and the, and the woman there who was a prostitute, right? Simon was the host who was supposed to culturally give respect, honor to a rabbi and to Jesus coming in and having dinner with them. But he's the guy with the most theological training was the one who treated him with the most disrespect. In fact, the example that we can learn from in that passage in Luke chapter seven was this widow here who was on her feet and, you know, she gave the, her her best. She honored Jesus. She gave so much respect. And I was like, wow, Jesus is so moved by that. This woman who was marginalized and outcast, was looked down because of her profession, was the one who was rich in faith, respect, honor, and love. Way more than the one who had years of theological training. In Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46, I would encourage our fellowship to study that passage out because that's an important one. To study that passage out. 
that that helping out and reaching out and 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 helping those in need was the same as helping Jesus. He identified with those in need, stood in solidarity with them. And so the the teaching is is that if we understand the gospel and and if we help out those who are poor, it is as if we're helping Jesus out. That's that's how powerful that passage really is. We may encounter Jesus as we engage and as we share and as we love and as we uh, are mindful of those who are, are in need. I mean, Robert even made a point before that that in the context of Matthew 25, it, it's it's the context of separating the sheep and the goats that that salvation is an issue in this for those who help the poor, which implies that those of us who don't help the poor, salvation will be an issue for us one day. I was like, wow, how convicting is that? So let's, I hope tonight we would consider, let's be a learner. Let's learn from those who, who perhaps are, are, are needy and are in need of resources like that. Let's not look at them differently, but that's, let's learn because they're often rich in faith, according to James. The second thing is in, in Acts chapter four, verse 32 to 33, it says the whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine. You can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the master Jesus and grace was on them all. And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. The apostles then distributed according to each person's need. The second thing I want to talk about is not only be a learner, right? Instead of a worship, instead of worshiping people who and being enamored by the rich, the wealthy, the powerful, perhaps we should learn from those who are actually rich in faith. Amen. The second thing is to be a sharer rather than a savior. That when we're reaching out or, or working with people, uh, who are needy, who are poor, we don't need to be their savior. Jesus is their savior. We can be a sharer. We can share what we have with them and extend our resources as well. And God does something amazing in that. So not only be a learner, but let's be a sharer rather than a savior. And that's what the early church did. You know, God blesses those who share. In Proverbs nineteen seventeen, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. You know, Mahatma Gandhi said, There are people in the world so hungry that God cannot appear to them except in the form of bread. So think about sharing makes a huge difference. Instead of just trying to be a savior to someone. It's a different mentality. It's a different heart. We stand in solidarity. We stand alongside as we share the different things that God has given to us. In Isaiah 58, we're blessed. We, we live blessed lives when we give. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfied, the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Our light, we will become a light. The church will become such a light to the world as we satisfy the needs of the oppressed and, and work for the hungry and, and spend ourselves there. You know, our light will rise in the noonday. 
you know, it's it's interesting to understand the New Testament church. But look at this. It, the Los Angeles church is about 5,500 members, eight regions. We're the largest church in our ICOC tradition. The, the New Testament church was a little bit, was bigger than our church now in Acts chapter 4. There was about 5,000 men that were counted. But the the trend... The, the, what, what Luke records is that there was not a needy person among them. Why? Because they shared. Can you imagine in the LA church that there's no needy persons in the LA church? Why? Because the early church shared. They shared with one another. Sharing is caring. This man, Ignatius of Loyola, who's a, who was, uh, uh, one of the founders of the Jesuit, Jesuit order, was a Spanish priest and theologian in the 1400s and 1500s. If our church is not marked by caring for the poor, oppressed, the hungry, we are guilty of heresy. And I want us to think about that tonight. That yes, we're here to meet the spiritual needs of people as we make disciples of all nations, but we're also called to participate in mission by also meeting the needs of the the physical needs of those around us as well. Amen. And so what did we learn tonight? Be the church is our series. The first lesson is about share, proclaiming good news to the poor. I, I just want to just say, our, our, I'm so blown away by our church because we do do this. We, we are involved with reaching out like that, but we, we, can, we can continually grow deeper in this. Let's consider what poverty is. Well, what is good news to the poor? Is the, the fact that God cares, that he sent his son and, and the herald would make an announcement of the son coming to bring good tidings and peace and that Jesus would come as a suffering servant. What else was good news was the message of good news is that Jesus cares. He came to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and that lives would change because of this. Things would be turned upside down. There'd be a place for the excluded, the included, not only a place for them, they would be honored there. And so, but what can we do tonight? You know, what can we do practically? Well, be a learner rather than a worshiper. Rather than worshiping those, you know, I mean, let's give respect to the rich, the, the wealthy, and, and those who have resources. Let's, let's absolutely give respect, but let's not worship them. Let's learn from those who are actually spiritually rich in faith that James says. But also, let's be a sharer rather than a savior. Let's share what we have with those who are in need. In your discussion questions tonight, just consider this question. What did you learn about the good news being proclaimed for the poor? Consider that in your discussion groups tonight. Let's remember, we will never change the world by going to church. We will change the world by being the church. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your attention. Have a great day. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.